Hey, hi, hello, uh, I'm Steve Cochran, and this is live from my office, the podcast, the brand new podcast. Oh, listen, you can hear it, but you can also smell it. It's got that new podcast smell. Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, or right there at CochranShow.com. You can pick up the new episodes, which drop every Tuesday and Friday, and sometimes you get bonus episodes like you do today. Dr. Kevin Most on COVID-19. Big picture thoughts today. We'll join Dr. Kevin Most coming up and he will educate us as he always does. But uh, right now, uh, I'd like to start the festivities on this special live from my office with something I call three things. And if you're ready, let's do thing number one. The Trump administration engaged in actively trashing Dr. Fauci. That's right. The White House is disparaging the country's best hope to stop the spread of COVID-19. Not smart, but not really a surprise. I think, look, we all remember when Trump called Santa Claus a fat loser. Oh, and you remember this? I do. See the disinfectant. It knocks it out in a minute. One minute. And is there a way we can do something like that? No. Uh, by injection no. inside or, or almost a cleaning. No, you, you can't clean from the inside. No. a tremendous number of lungs, so it'd be interesting to check that. It's not interesting. It's a terrible idea. With, but it well, sounds, yeah, they should have a sounds doctor. Sounds interesting to me. You need a doctor. Thing number two. Tom Bergeron and Aaron Andrews out at Dancing with the Stars. ABC has said, look, we got to go in a fresh direction, something different, something new. And they're happy to welcome co-hosts Steve Harvey and Regis Philbin. Oh, Ryan Seacrest is going to be mad. Meanwhile, back at Trump, he continues to say when it comes to COVID-19, when you test, you create cases, which is not true. Tests reveal cases. But if it helps you, Mr. President, think of it in these terms. Here's what's true. Divorces create ex-wives. Buckets of chicken create bigger pants. Doing a really bad job creates a one-term presidency. And no longer being president creates indictments and jail time. All right, Frank. Lieutenant Frank Driven, police squad, this is my Captain Ed Hawkins. Is this some kind of bust? Well, it's very impressive, yes, but we need to ask you a few questions. That's not one, not two, but three things on the uh, Steve Cochran Cochran Show podcast. I'm glad you're here. Remember, you can drop me an email at thecochranshow at gmail.com. Leave your comments here, wherever here may be for you, or uh, drop me a comment there. Anything you write me could end up on the show. You just never know. But let's get after it with our guest today. It's Dr. Kevin Most back to talk a little bit about where we are, where we could be, and the blow-up of the COVID-19 numbers. How much trouble are we actually in? I had a chance to talk to Kevin uh, just a few hours ago. Let's listen to that now. I'm glad you're here. All right, this is live from my office, the podcast. And uh, happy, as always, to uh, welcome a very generous guy, my good friend, Dr. Kevin Most. Dr. Most, how are you? Steve, it is, what, 78 degrees and sunny out? And, uh, boy, anybody wants to complain about weather in Chicago today, then they need to see a psychiatrist. But I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, this is more San Diego-like, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's perfect. Little breeze. So good day, good day to get outside. All right. So well, that's the good news. Here's the bad news. We're trending the wrong way in a big way around the country when it comes to uh, COVID-19. Can we stop this negative momentum? And if we can, how do we do it? Yeah, you know, we're even trending here in Illinois, you know, which is a little bit discouraging because we had been on such a good track. And there's a couple things that are discouraging. One is not only the number of cases that are going up, but then time of reporting out from the cases. And what I mean by that is if I were to get tested today in some states, I may not have the results for 10 days. Well, unfortunately, if I don't self-quarantine for those 10 days, I just really eat the entire reason to have the test. It, it, it defeats it. There's no reason. I've, I've already done my damage. So um, there's that portion of it. And now we're actually seeing a lot of 20 and 30-year-olds testing positive, which is fine from a health point of view for them for the most part, but very concerning as far as allowing the spread to continue. So when all this comes uh, uh, clear, and who knows how long it'll take, um, we're going to look back on this and say, we're not really in a different spot than we were in March. And then in March, you said, if you treat this like you've got it, if you uh, wear a face mask, and if you uh, stay home, social distance uh, when you're out, um, we can beat this. Is that still true? Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, we talk about this disease changing all the time and the things that are changing. Well, I hate to say it, but all those changes are actually happening at the hospital level and the hospitalized uh, individuals. When we're looking at what's happening just in the general public, we have not changed our mantra. Our mantra is physically distance yourself, wear a mask. If you have symptoms, quarantine yourself. All of those things slow that spread, flatten that curve, which allows the health systems to not be burdened. The advances that we're seeing the remdesivirs, the, the dexamethasone, um, the prone, uh, placing the patient prone to breathe easier, the minimizing the use of ventilators. All of that has come through with science with the hospitalized patients. But for the blocking and tackling, we haven't changed our story, and I don't think it'll change at all. Is there anything new in regards to asymptomatic people spreading it uh, and spreading it in an aggressive way? No, you know, we know that this new strain that we talked about in the past, the, the new strain appears to be much more easily spread. And that's why we're seeing more of these 20s and 30-year-olds. So two things there. One is they've let their guard down a little bit with the complacency of wearing a mask and getting into large groups. And two, now we have this mutation that appears to have come out of Europe that makes it easier to transmit the disease. Difficult to say the severity of it, because the large number of transmissions we're seeing is in these young, healthy 20 and 30 year olds. So time is going to tell us here over the next month if this new strain is going to be bothersome and if it will impact any vaccines or any other treatments that we have. Purely from a medical standpoint, it seems likely we're going to look back on this and say from a medical standpoint, this was uh, something uh, that we finally got control of. It now lives amongst us. We're going to have to have our uh, our vaccinations every year, uh, and uh, and we're going to beat it back as best we can. But it's going to take personal discipline, things of that nature. It seems that's where we'll look back at it, just from a medical perspective, not the tragic loss of life and the horrible management of it. But if that's not the case, is it possible we're dealing with a virus that's bigger and badder and worse than we've even imagined? Potentially, but I think your first scenario is, is the right scenario. And, and 
I think it's going to have to be a combination of three things. One is obviously going to be a vaccine that will hopefully give us decent protection. But you have to remember that 45% of this country gets a flu vaccine, even though it's readily available all the time. So we still have a lot of people who don't feel that they need that. Two is going to be, are we going to be able to get a treatment that can take care of these symptoms and knock down this virus quickly to a point where you don't need to be hospitalized, similar to something like Tamiflu? If we can identify influenza early, we get them on Tamiflu, the symptoms are diminished. And then third is going to be, can we get some rapid testing, almost immediate testing, whether it be a breathalyzer or some other way to test so that we know we aren't going to put large groups uh, together with potential super spreaders in the midst of them. So I think it's going to be that threefold attack because I think you're going to have a lot of people who are going to say, I'm not getting a vaccine. You're going to have these 20 and 30 year olds saying, why am I getting a vaccine? It's not going to do any good for me. I, I, I'm, I'm invincible. So for them, we are, are going to at least need to have a way to treat uh, if they do get positive and test rapidly. You know, I, I've had a lot of folks say, hey, ask Dr. Most what I'm supposed to say to my 21-year-old or my 25-year-old <clears throat> or my 18-year-old. Um, I don't know that you, I don't know that I, I don't know that anybody uh, in the public sphere can tell you how to teach your adult that they are not invincible. I mean, that's really an individual thing, right? You have to have enough self-concern after the age of 18 that you're not invincible and that you do have to do the right thing. I, I, don't, I don't know how we fix that problem. It's, it's self-concern as well as insight of your selfishness by not doing the right things. Um, I think that, you know, the biggest thing that we're going to be able to threaten them with, because obviously the threat of the illness isn't, is going to be the threat of employment. You know, if, if this hits again in the fall, if we think the first economic hit was hard, you just wait to see what the second one is, because you're going to see a lot more clampdown and a lot more shutdown in places that just ramped up, have a cost to ramp down. There's going to be people that are more hesitant now to go back in it a second time or a third time. So perhaps maybe we can tell those 20 and 30 year olds, you might want to have a job. So perhaps you might want to do what we're asking you to do, these very simple things for this inconvenience of making sure we're uh, saving and protecting others. I heard a statistic that if 60% of us wore a mask that was 60% effective, um, 100% of the time that we should, that we could knock this down in less than six months. Yep. So that concept is almost the same concept as herd, herd immunity, right? If we knew that somewhere between 60 and 75% of us were already protected from the virus, Anybody who came in with the virus would be squelched in spreading it to those who, who were not protected, in your case, who were not wearing masks. So it's actually interesting science and interesting math when we look at it. Is it really the vaccine that's going to do this, that's going to get this herd immunity over a long period of time? Or is it going to be really good uh, proper masking for a shorter period of time so that we can squelch it? Both of them will work. Really, the herd immunity where you have the immune system works better because eventually you're going to want to take that mask off. But, uh, but the concept is the same when you look at the short run. I heard you and our friend Dean Richards recently talking about uh, the effect of uh, sunlight and, and summer and, and heat on surfaces and that playground equipment may not be as dangerous as we thought, things of that nature. What do we know in, in, in that area? Yeah, you know, we really haven't seen a lot of, transmission at all 
for one thing, there's very, not a lot of transmission in the pediatric world. Obviously, we haven't seen the big push with peds cases, but we haven't seen a lot of transmission with any fomite surfaces or any outdoor surfaces. So certainly a combination of the UV light from the sun, as well as heat, as well as bad atmosphere, as well as dilution, has really shown us that being outdoors should be one of our least concerns as far as transmission of this illness. So, I mean, a lot of what we've done when we look at how long will it last on stainless steel, on plastic, on cardboard, has been done in a very controlled environment versus putting it outside now where there's heat, there's sun, there's air circulating. And we've seen that with that, with that, those situations in that environment, boy, the chance of transmission goes almost to zero. And there's another recent study that says we may know that uh, these COVID-19 um, um, particles from a sneeze, from a cough, from talking, from yelling, whatever, can hang in the air much longer than we thought. But having said that, um, in the medical uh, world, in the hospital, you guys are exposed to this constantly. If that's true, uh, it must be in a lab environment, right? Otherwise, how could it be that all the doctors and nurses wouldn't be sick right now? Yeah, you know, there, there is that concern. You probably saw the study. I think 239 doctors or scientists around the world come out to the World Health Organization and say, hey, we want to call this an airborne illness versus a droplet illness. And there's, there's a difference there. Now, if that study or if that statement had 8,000 scientists versus 239 around the world, I think we would take our more attention to us. So the science has showed us that it's more droplet. In other words, it's going to be in a heavier particle, and that's why we get the six to eight foot distance. If we say this is aerosolized and it's floating around and it can stay stay around a lot longer and can be inhaled to a point of infection, then then yeah, sure, we'd be more concerned. And like you said, that hasn't played out. Take a hospital like CDH, we're at our peak. We had 95 COVID patients. We've done antibody testing for all of our, and I shouldn't say all, but 20,000 individuals at Northwestern. Our positivity rate on the healthcare workers is just at 3%, less than the general public, and yet we've been exposed to many, many more patients than anyone else would have been in less ideal situations. In other words, the emergency department, and then also in close contact with them as we care for them. I'll get you out on this. Uh, the other real-world life uh, uh, experiment that seems to be one we could pay attention to for people to go, this masking thing is stupid. We don't see a massive outbreak of grocery store workers. And to me, that means uh, it, it's been shut down because these grocery stores have said, you're not coming in without a mask. Am I crazy? No, you're not. I mean, if you look at the grocery stores, they've actually done a really good job. They're telling you how to physically distance. They're trying to make one-way aisles so people really won't even pass each other. You see all of their employees are wearing masks. All the individuals, cashiers are wearing masks. And there's a couple of reasons for that. As a company, I want to make sure they have the safest environment because that's all I need is to have some kind of outbreak or some kind of slip. And my business goes to zero because everyone finds out, don't go to that place. So certainly they're being as overcautious as they possibly can. But also this has proven to us that really the chance of you getting it by touching something else is very low, right? If you think about a grocery store and people pick things up and put them back down in shopping carts, but we're all doing the right things by washing our hands and washing the carts. So really the transmission is very low. And like you said, 
we're kind of doing our own experiments in many different settings. Now retail is open a little bit. I think you're going to see that. Now that indoor dining, you're going to start to see that. So we're all doing these little micro experiments, but we really need to be right on top of it to see if we do find something that we act on it very quickly. Yeah, you know, look, you're not entitled to coffee. You're not entitled to getting your groceries. You're not entitled to uh, sitting and having a pizza uh, without following the rules of the people that own the business. Um, you know, this thing, we all, we're all in this together, Doc. Yeah, we are. But we're all grownups. Put on your friggin' mask. Don't make me come over there. And uh, Doc, we, Doc, by the way, the one-way aisles in a grocery store, I screw that up yeah. every time I'm in there. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I go the wrong way. <laughs> I, I don't know. I got attention to the arrow. Uh, did we miss anything? You know, you want to see, I think your comments right there at the end are probably the most important ones. You know, we have a lot of rights and liberties in this country, and those rights and liberties were fought for us by other people. They've just been handed to us for the most part. And I think that really, when we look at the number of World War II vets that are dying from COVID and the few that we have left, we should at least protect them for what they've done, the Vietnam vets for what they've done. So if you really don't want to do it for yourself, but you really think you deserve these rights and liberties, then let's do it for the people who have fought for those rights and liberties and that would allow us to keep them. So it's let's not be selfish. Amen. That's, that's simple. Your parents raised you better than that. Amen. Well said, my friend. It's Dr. Kevin Most uh, on the new podcast at CochranShow.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends. And this is live from my office. <laughs>